Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team the Rays radio network proudly presents this week in Rays baseball drilled to center field and deep back on it is eaten to the track to the wall it's gone Evan Longoria with a two-run home run to straightaway center and he gives the Rays a six to four lead here in the ninth Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good afternoon. Welcome to our show. Today we'll look at Hurricane Irma from a raised perspective. We'll have our final roundtable discussion with Dave Andy as well as Brian Anderson of Fox Sports Sun. We'll speak with Ray's starting pitcher Blake Snell and Mitch Lukovich will be on by to break down a couple of minor league championships. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. I'm Neil Solons. This certainly was a unique week in Rays history with Hurricane Irma moving games to New York. I asked team president Brian Ald about the greatest challenge with the storm. You know, there are so many variables with the storm, and I think anyone who was here throughout it saw that saw it continually veer, change courses, um, strengthen, weaken, and you just don't really know what to expect. And so we had a situation where all of our employees were – uh, making sure them, they themselves were safe. Uh, many were evacuating um, while at the same time wondering if, when, and how we were going to play our baseball games. And so we made the decision relatively early on that the uh, that it wasn't prudent to play the Yankees series here. Uh, it was important that not just our employees were safe and our fans were safe, but that all the emergency personnel that we use for every game um, were equipped and ready to uh, to deal with the storm and not so much managing baseball traffic. And so that bought us a little time to try to figure out what we do with the Red Sox series. And fortunately, the storm wasn't as bad as it might have been, and we're able to host these games right now. You also made, you know, and you have made family or employees a big part of the team focus. And you really did that throughout the course of the storm, correct? We take great pride, and I personally take great pride in being an employee's first organization. And I, I always say that that means we put our staff ahead of everything, and that includes um, our fan experience, our customer service, our profits, and our revenues. Um, I believe that doing that allows us to be a high-functioning organization. And in times like this, you really see it come through. You know, we told employees to be with their families, to, to evacuate if they wanted to evacuate, to, to board up if they needed to board up. We helped provide those who were having trouble getting water with water. You may have seen that we allowed the players to bring their families on the trip to uh, to Boston. Um, we wanted everyone to be as comfortable as they possibly could be, to know where their people were, 
Uh, and we tried to, and we kept track of all of them throughout. Um, we really wanted to make sure that we were all available and looking out for one another because that makes you all stronger. It does. Uh, how helpful were some of the other partners in all this, specifically the city? Because you had to deal with a lot just to get, you know, the outside ready so that you could play a baseball game this weekend. Sure. Well, we had, you know, the Red Sox, Major League Baseball. Everyone wanted to know, are we going to play these games? Are we not going to play these games? My my calls to Mayor Kreisman, to Chief Holloway, to Assistant Chief Privetere at the police department were always first and foremost recognizing that they were doing a far more important job uh, in that moment than necessarily figuring out whether or not we could host the games. And we told them that we would be as patient as we could be and to just let us know if they thought it would be appropriate to host the games this weekend. Um, we got that confirmation a little later than we might have, but I think we did that because it was the cautious approach. And before we wanted to make an official announcement, we wanted to be sure that we had things like traffic lights working, that we uh, were going to be able to get officers off their 12-hour shifts and uh, and get them a little rest before they came back out here to the TROP to, to help us have a game. So they're wonderful partners. They've been great to us uh, for as long as I've known them. Um, we have great relationships with them. And when you, when you know the people on the other end of the line, it makes it pretty easy to figure out the right course of action. And you're trying to focus on the community aspect, too. I know with the ticket exchange program from people who, let's say, went to the Yankee series, but now are either going to go to the Orioles games, the last set here, or this weekend Red Sox series, you guys are, in essence, taking that and, and providing donations, too, for, to, to benefit those who've received some losses here because of Irma. Absolutely. There's going, you know, and we're collecting food to, tonight at the game. And have been all week feeding America, uh, Tampa Bay feeding Tampa Bay rather has been a, a longtime partner of ours, and they're staging uh, food drives every uh, at Tropicana Field. We we want to participate in the community. We always do. There's a, a whole lot of accounting to be worked out from both the Astros series and the series we played up at City Field, but. The end result is going to be uh, a lot of money going to, to hurricane relief uh, in both areas and in, and in South Florida, too. Uh, you know, we want to make sure that, uh, that we get those resources to, to the neediest. You've certainly faced a lot of challenges here with the Rays. Would this be the largest, though, and just in terms of how massive these two storms were, you know, the impact that they have on so many different communities and so many different people and trying to balance what you're doing overall? I'm not sure I could, I could make a... A list of all the biggest challenges, certainly not without including this. You know, our organization comes together in the in the face of adversity. I was so proud of what happened a year ago in the wake of the, the Pulse shooting tragedy. Um, it's a different energy. It's a different reaction, certainly, to a hurricane. But, but it's the same sort of spirit that I think our organization possesses, which is that we're going to do everything we can to do this right. We're going to prioritize the things that really matter first. Um, we're going to get it done. And then also we're going to be a place for the community to come together. And you'll see that this week. Weekend. We have plans for the Orioles series to really recognize a lot of the first responders, too, because we take that role that we play within the community very seriously. And I couldn't be more proud to work with uh, you know, all the Rays employees, yourself included, Neil, because of the way that we respond in these situations. We, we really, uh, it brings out the best in all of us. And that is Rays team president Brian Ald, now vice president of operations Rick Nave, gave me a look at how cleanup at the park went after Irma, but first how the organization prepared for the massive hurricane. Well, the first thing we do, uh, Neil, is that uh, our crew, led by Scott Kellerman and Chris Ranieri, uh, our maintenance crew will go out and they will they will bring in everything that, that can move. Fences, stanchions, uh, parking lot stanchions, anything that can move or blow away, they'll bring in and secure. That's, that's the first thing we do. We'll do that about two days out at least to make sure we're secure outside. Uh, and then we do a visual and see if whatever has to be battened down can be battened down. Then we come inside and there's, like you said, there's not a whole lot of prep you can do inside. Uh, you just wish and 
and hope and pray. And I uh, hope you have a roof for that uh, that's still on there when you get back. How worried were you? Um, because this was as close, I think, as Tampa Bay came in a long time to taking one of these really head on. I was really worried. I, I mean, I was born and raised in Miami. And, and, of course, when you're a child, actually all the way up through the 20s, you know, in, in your 20s, you, you love hurricanes because you get out of school and they're kind of neat. They're kind of fun. It's kind of kind of fun to sit in the dark and sweat. And it's not like that anymore. I had always... Uh, found them fascinating this one this one i was frightened of i was really i really thought this would be the one especially when it started that path up the uh, up the west coast because you had not only the winds and you had the the storm surge and, and the additional rain on top of the summer that that we've just been so wet anyway that i really felt that this was the one and, and the storm surge scared me probably more than anything so once we got through and again we're very fortunate what was the next step and how challenging was it to get this ballpark back and ready again? We had really minimal damage. That was just amazing. I mean, it's simply there were places in the in this whole Tampa Bay area that uh, that had minimal damage, and there's other places like, like right next door that they may not have power. If we lost power, we lost it momentarily. We're we're trying to go back to check our computers now to see because we're on the um, the hospital grid for power restoration, but we have uh, generators here. If we did lose power, it was, it was just for a short time. The fact that, you know, the, the roof is, is always something that, that we're concerned about. We did have uh, one slight tear in the liner, and it really wasn't a new tear. It was a tear from 2004 from uh, the, when the four hurricanes crisscrossed. That tear was repaired, but then, but then it ripped a little bit longer. Uh, that's, uh, that still has to be fixed. And, and then a couple of um, Tropicana sign lost uh, two of the letter facings on and on the rotunda we had a little bit of water intrusion on this west side here with the uh, where the new construction meets the old construction uh, so my office had had a little bit of water damage but they got it all we got it all cleaned up so within within a day after we got back we had uh, we had the place in pretty good shape and then we had another this, the next day we had uh, additional staff from other departments actually come in and uh, walk it and it gave us about 20 more sets of eyes on everything, and that was really helpful. You mentioned the, the fortunate part that you're part of the same grid as the hospital, and you're also in a good spot in terms of from there and the generators. But do you work much with the folks at Duke Energy when something like this happens, or are you helping them, and if so, how? Oh, yeah, we, we have a great relationship with Duke. Uh, and, in fact, we uh, uh, loan them our parking lots to stage lot of their vehicles before they, they move them out into different areas of the of the region uh, so but no we have a, a close relationship we've got some uh, damage to some of the poles out there which are owned by Duke uh, on the parking lot so they uh, they will be coming in and fixing those but uh, yeah we have a uh, almost a first name basis with several of the people at Duke are, what other agencies are you also once once you get out of the woods who are you also working with helping that sort of thing on the outside well, I mean, let's start with the city and, and, and probably end with the city because that's that's uh, that's a that's a big jump right there. When when we first did our renovations here and moved into the Tropicana Field, there was a thought at one time of making this a shelter, and and, and we felt that that was not a good idea because you don't want to. So you look at what happened with the Superdome, Katrina. You don't want to put two thousand people in here in cots, and, and then all of a sudden your roof is gone because you've you've captured them right there. But what it, what it does serve a great purpose of, because it is one of the higher points in the county, is for the city and the county to move their vehicles in here. They're, 
emergency vehicles, helicopters, things like that. Uh, so they used it the first couple of years, maybe the first four or five years, as a command center for hurricanes and natural disasters. Uh, and, and that worked out uh, well. Thank God we didn't have many of those, but, uh, you know, we, uh, we set them up and, and they, uh, they pretty much would take it over. But since then, and, and, and this one coming up here, we also allowed that same thing. The, the city would uh, be the clearinghouse for what would come in. Once the evacuation was formalized here of all of our employees, we left it up to the city and county to determine what came in and what didn't come in. And that is Ray's Vice President, Rick Nave. Certainly a challenging week here in St. Petersburg, but also for our spring training home in Port Charlotte, especially with the storm making landfall in nearby Naples. The GM of the Stone Crabs is Jared Forma. Jared, thanks very much for coming on the program. Are you kidding, Neil? Thank you, and I hope you and your family and everyone up there is doing well. Thank you very much. Uh, we're doing much better, certainly, and I'm curious how you guys weathered the storm. And first of all, you know, what kind of preparation did you have to do once you found out that Irma had a chance to hit the Port Charlotte area? Yeah, you know, Neil, it was interesting. I think we were like most people where, you know, several days in advance of the hurricane, we were taking some preparation for moving at a little bit slower pace. I think everyone was more worried about, you know, the shutters getting up, uh, especially at their own homes, more than the stadium. And then as you learn where the hurricane was heading uh, between us and uh, our partners with Charlotte County, uh, we took a ton of, ton of precautions and preparations which really helped us out. Um, by and large, we came out of it, you know, unscathed. Everyone's healthy. Um, but there were a ton of pre-hurricane preparations from undoing awnings uh, throughout the whole complex, not just in the main stadium, but all the backfields because those would have ripped structures off. All the signage had to come down. One of the most intensive things was we had to clear the entire stadium. As you as you know, and hopefully most of the fans know who have visited us, we have a 360-degree boardwalk, but we're outdoors. So we had to get everything put away that could possibly have been some sort of projectile object, so to speak. And that's a lot of stuff that you had to, to move. Where where did you move it, and, and how challenging was that over a short period of time? Well, I learned we do have a lot of stuff. That is correct. Um, pretty much we put it in every door, every nook and cranny, every room. Uh, you know, we loaded concession stands up with any anything that could fit. Um, we really just, anywhere we could find space, we put it. And, and it was a, it took my entire staff, uh, I think we did that. It took us almost a full day on Wednesday uh, to get that done um, because, again, I wanted to get my staff out of here to be safe as well. So by Wednesday, we were pretty much done with it. Then again, our great partners with Charlotte County, uh, we finished up some things Thursday and Friday in advance as well. And you said generally the stadium was um, and the facility did not receive any significant damage? Amazingly, no. I think a lot of the precautions really really paid off um you know there's certainly some things bent a little bit but nothing major at all you know there's some you know a little piece of a roof one little uh siding piece came off um some things have been blown around and bent but by and large completely uh unscathed um and it was really an interesting time here because we also you know luckily this facility is such a good one that we had some fire and EMS people stationed here as well as a strike force team uh, stationed on our concourse. So it was an interesting couple of days without a doubt. 
And this normally would have been, I guess, fairly busy in, st in terms of players down there because normally at this time you have instructional league, but I know the Rays put that off until after Irma went through. Correct. You know, the facility down here would have been all preparation for instructional league. Uh, Cindy Keckney, who runs uh, the home club outside the home building, you know, and the staff here would have been gearing up. I think it was Monday or mm -hmm. Tuesday this week when they were supposed to be down, and then it was delayed a day before being canceled indefinitely or postponed. Um, but, yeah, it would have been, you know, breaking down from our, our seasons and getting ready for, you know, a couple hundred players to come down for instructional league. So it really became a different week for us, yes. As we know, with storms like these, look, things can be replaced, but people can't. Your staff, I assume, everybody's okay. They're, you know, nobody's had any major losses in terms of personal or, or, or homes or anything of that nature? Thank you so much for asking uh, everyone on our staff uh, down here, um, even the county staff that works down here. Everyone that I know of is safe and well, and from what I have heard so far, we, you know, just about everyone really lucked out without too much home damage either. Wouldn't argue there, Jared. We appreciate some time. Thanks for joining us on This Week in Race Baseball, and we'll see you in February. It'll be here before you know it. Before we know it, and Neil, thank you, and just uh, wishing my best wishes to everyone up at the Trop and all of uh, Race Nation, all their fans, and the entire communities. Stone Crabs GM Jared Former coming up, Dave Andy and Brian Anderson of Fox Sports Sun after this on the Race Baseball Network. Welcome back to this week in Race Baseball. Neil Solon's with you. Time now for our final roundtable of the 2017 season and back one. Last time, Dave Andy and Brian Anderson of Fox Sports Sun. Afternoon, guys. You get any rest? Not much. No, not <laughs> no. really. <laughs> Quick turnaround, baby. We'll be resting in two weeks. Maybe. Indeed. Indeed. You know, we look at last night slash the early morning game, and I kind of think it epitomized the season in that, you know, you're so close to doing so many things, last night being a, a Chris Sale, and at the end, it's whether it's one aspect of the game or another, it doesn't come together at the right time. Fair enough? I thought it was a microcosm of the season. You kind of went in with, uh, you know, tempered expectations because of how good Chris Sale is, kind of like what everybody did coming into the season for the Rays. And then all of a sudden, you know, you had a couple of surprises. We hit a couple of baseballs out. We've got a 4-1 to one lead going into the ninth inning, and I thought Kevin masterfully used the bullpen the way he uh, had to for a little bit and then the way he wanted to. And as I said to Kevin Cash uh, prior to the game today, you could have knocked me over with a feather if uh, Alex Colomay was going to do what he did. And uh, it's unfortunate because uh, it would have been a nice win. And who knows if it could have been that jumping off point. But, uh, you know, B.A. Or, or Andy, this is really, as I've said, I think this has been uh, another one of those kind of uh, godfather moments. Every time I, 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 I think I'm out, they pull me back in. And then when I get in, I'm ready to get out. And uh, it's just been, uh, it's been unfortunate because this team, right before the beginning of September, had kind of, Won 10 out of 15 games. Looked like they might get on a little bit of a run. We haven't had one all year, and uh, we just it just doesn't look like it's going to happen. Let me ask B.A. a couple of things. One, what was different with Alex Colomay yesterday? Because he's had games where he started out maybe with a walk or a base hit. He stays very calm out there. That's one of his great traits. Last night, why was he not able to do it? What was different with him? Command. It just comes down to uh, flat-out command. 
you know, he, uh, how many sliders did he get out in front and bounce? And it was usually he can make the adjustment rather quickly, and that's just something that, that did not happen. And, and he just did not have the command. And I think what happens as a pitcher, when that goes on long enough, because you all have keys. We all have keys in the back of our mind when we miss a pitch. Okay, I need to do this. I need to stay taller over the rubber. I need to think about reaching towards home plate and to the, out to the catcher, whatever it may be for you. And all of a sudden, you start to roll through your keys, and you find that your adjustments aren't working. And now you're out there going, mm, uh-oh, what am, what am I going to do? Because I have to be my own pitching coach. I've tried to make all the adjustments that, you know, normally when I do that, I lock myself right back in, and I'm not locking myself back in. And then all of a sudden, the doubt starts to creep into your mind because you know you're not able to make your pitches. And when that happens, it is a very tough place to be. It's a very lonely place to be. And a lot of times it, it doesn't go your way. And it's one of the few times over the course of a season uh, that it did not go Alex Colomay's way, uh, especially with a three-run lead. You thought that that was going to be protected. There was enough cushion there that he would get it together. And when it did not happen, um, shocking. Neil, let me jump in. I know that I don't mean to take control here, but I've been meaning to ask BA this all year and trying to find the right time. It was back in May that you came into this very booth and you said, I think we're looking at a playoff team here. And I thought that part of the reason you felt that is because what the Rays were doing, and part of it was because I remember you saying, the rest of the league is not that impressive. Here we are now on the other side of it. I know I bought into the team probably somewhere around July when they took three or four from the Red Sox. What has been the drag in your mind? What will ultimately, most likely, prevent this team from being the playoff team that I know you were the first, I thought, to jump on and said, I think we got a playoff team here. Well, you know, I, I still think that back in May that that was the case. And I, I, by the way, just to set the record, if you look around the rest of the league, I, I still don't think. I right. think it's all very mediocre. We've yeah. seen the Minnesota Twins twice. We saw them when they were seven games uh, over 500 and they were in first place in the American League Central, came away not very impressed. We just saw them here recently, still wasn't that impressed, although they continue to hang out there. That just lets you know that the margin is not very wide between these teams. However, in the Rays' case, they were never able to put all three facets of the game together at the same time. You know, it's interesting that they went out and made their moves um, as far as the bullpen goes and thought offensively there are enough threats that even if a couple of guys get cold, there'll be other couple of guys that are able to carry the team offensively. They improve their, themselves defensively, at least on paper, and all of a sudden they shore up the bullpen. Now let's go get them after August 1st. I went and looked back at some numbers today from August 1st. The Rays are dead last in the American League. From August 1st on, they're dead last in average, on-base, slug, fewest runs per game in Major League Baseball, and the lowest batting average with runners in scoring position in Major League Baseball. Who would have thought that? And there's your answer. That's it. Well, well, on that end, too, I mean, we go back and look at this team over the last, let's say, last year. I mean, the two things that stick out to me are, A, they're home run dependent again. If they don't get the home run, they don't score, which was last year's biggest issue. And then the other thing is the last eight games, and I know part of it is the way you have to manage in September with expanded rosters, but you haven't had a starter go more than five innings. To me, those are the biggest things, B.A., that I worry about this club going forward. Uh, yeah, I do too. And I think the starting pitching will take care of itself if you allow it to, but you do manage these games a little differently uh, because you've got a thicker bullpen, and if you can get it to you know, C-Sheck and, and Hunter and Colome, usually it's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's over with. 
So if that guy starts to struggle in the fifth or sixth, you get him out of there, you piece it together with a couple of guys. On the flip side, the home run dependency, I completely agree with you. And here's the deal. If you want to be a team that can occasionally manufacture runs, you need to have an approach at the plate. And that's what you don't see with this group. You don't see anybody cut their swing down with two strikes. You don't see anybody look to go the other way with two strikes and move a runner. It is all or nothing for the most part. I'm not, I mean, I've seen, you know, Evan Longoria at times will cut down and use the middle of the field and go the other way. Seen Echeverria do it from time to time. But for the most part, if you're going to manufacture runs, you need to have an approach and you need to have a two strike approach. And across the game, it's not just the no, Rays. Right. Across mm-hmm. the game, you don't see that very much. You know, and, and, and we, we've talked about this a couple of times during the broadcast. This team, I mean, we watched it for many years uh, from 12 till last year that this offense was as Evan goes, so goes this offense. I didn't think that was going to be the case, but you almost draw a correlation to the fact that this team has really struggled since August 1st. And how many home runs has Evan Longoria hit since August 1st? I think he's hit one well, uh, since the, uh, the, the, you know, the day he hit for the cycle from that point on. And I'm not, again, I'm not piling on and saying this is all on Evan, but you know, it's been a very, very quiet uh, last several weeks for Evan, for, for Dickerson, for um, even Steven Souza Jr. here over the last couple of weeks has been very, very quiet. And if your big boys aren't your big boys in the prime time, it's going to be tough to win. Well, and, and I would say, too, of those guys you listed, Dave, I mean, Corey Dickerson on June 26 was leading the league and hitting at 330, and since then, a 217 hitter. I mean, you, I, I almost feel like this team overachieved in the first half and underachieved in the second half. That, I mean, we're going to end up being maybe at 500 if we get hot here, if the Rays get hot here down the stretch. And I don't mean to lay it all on one guy, but Corey Dickerson, it, it's very hard if you go from so good and so consistent with all these multiple hit games to being a non-factor in the lineup where he can't seem to make the adjustment on the high fastball out of the zone. Well, that that's it. I, I mean, this is a game of adjustments. You hear it all the time. And so what happened was Corey Dickerson, you know, was expanding his strike zone. His bat was very quick. He was getting to a lot of pitches and putting up ridiculous numbers. And then all of a sudden, the league says, that, you know, you take note of a guy like that. Okay, where are the weaknesses? Where do we think that we can go after this guy? And you saw the entire league slowly but surely all come around to a similar approach and Corey Dickerson has not been able to make the adjustment to either A, be able to find a way to get to that pitch, which is not going to be very easy, or B, find a way to lay off that pitch. Mm Because if you still go at it and you can't make the adjustment and do anything with it, that's all you're going to see, and that will become the norm. Now the ball is in in, uh, in Corey Dickerson's court. He needs to make the corresponding adjustment to get back to the type of hitter that we know that he is. Let me ask you this, B.A., and uh, and, and we've talked about this as well with the – the focus on launch angles and trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark. I mean, again, it's not just the Rays. It's a lot of teams around Major League oh, yeah. Baseball. It really is. Is it is it too easy to say that we should maybe – we're not going to be able to keep up with the Joneses when it comes to paying for offense. Should we take a step back and start looking back at run prevention like this team did when they first did turn things around back in 08? I mean, is it is it that easy or is it even that going to be maybe too tough because of the occasional home run hit by the other team? to try and piecemeal together an offense might be might be too tough too. I mean I'm I'm just I'm looking at I'm already got one eye toward twenty eighteen and beyond and I'm just wondering if, you know, this offensive try was kinda nice but it's gonna come up short. Do we have to maybe go back to run prevention? Boy, uh, yeah, I mean spitballing all these ideas, I, I, I think that there could be a happy medium. Um, and I think maybe they tried to find that as they started to make some mm-hmm. moves with Echeverria. But it almost looks like Echeverria's approach now mm-hmm. is is more of, you know, more extra base hits, more mm-hmm. power. You know, coming into the season, his career high in home runs was five. 
He's already hit five with the Rays, yeah. and more here recently. I mean, he, even his approach at the plate has changed. The batting average has come way back from where it was with uh, with, with that team from South Florida. Yeah, but the uh, yeah, the extra base hits have gone you know way up. So. You know, it, it, it'll be interesting. It will be very interesting because regardless of how this season ends up, you know, everybody's going to sit back and lay it all out there. Where do we think we could have done a better job and how do we move forward in a very tough division when you think about the core of the Yankees that's going to be around for a while? Yep. You think about the core of the Red Sox they are going to be around, you know, for a while. And so... This is going to become a very difficult division once again, and you're going to have to try to stay a step ahead, which is not as easy now because all this information, everybody else yep. has it too. And, Neil, like you said too, uh, I listened to the post game all the way home last night. Second base is a position that has to get short up defensively. It just has to. No doubt. I, I want to ask one more thing. we got a minute or so. Um, to stay present and future, this likely is the last home start for Alex Cobb unless they alter the rotation. What's going to stick with you for each of you about him? Yeah, you're the pitcher. You start. Gamer. The guy will do whatever it takes to win, and we saw that this year. He has always been a fastball, split changeup, curveball to get ahead early in counts, and that was it, and a wipeout split change. He realized early in the season it just wasn't coming back. So on the fly, the guy completely reinvents himself as a fastball, curveball for strike, curveball to put you away with occasional split change he does that on the fly during the course of a major league baseball season that's a guy i'll do whatever it takes to win i'd, I'd have him start every big game i could yeah. i'd love the guy for me it's what might have been because i think of him coming off of 2014 where he pretty much stayed healthy for the most part and then 15 this was going to be his staff and the rug got pulled out because the elbow went and it took him you know 18 months to get back you know, last year he wasn't like what he, uh, what he was uh, prior to. This year he has been, but we're running out of time with him on the contract. So as great as it is, and I, I will always think the world of Alex Cobb, Dave, I can't help but think of what might have been had that elbow Well, you know, again, I, I, I don't know if the term is self-made, but uh, here's a guy that when he first came up, I think a lot of us were looking at him as, as like Jeremy Hellickson light. You know, that Hellickson had just won the uh, rookie of the year, and we're seeing this guy Alex Cobb come up, kind of the same repertoire. We're going, boy, if he can only be almost as good as Hellickson, then we're going to be okay. Well, he blew by Hellickson, and and I think what what to BA said. I think the the fact that here's a guy that is a gamer that goes out there and figures out a way to get guys out. He he hopes that he has his three pitches. When he had his three pitches, he was a great pitcher with a fastball, curveball, changeup. But most of the time here this year, he's been kind of pitching with two pitches, and then I think lately it's been a pitch and a half. I think his curveball has kind of uh, come back a little bit to earth. And so, but guess what? He figures out what he has on that day, and he tries to beat you with it. And I just wish more and more young pitchers could figure that out because he shows pitchability, and he lives by that uh, mantra that B.A. just talked about. Baseball is a game of adjustments. He adjusts on the fly as well as any pitcher that has probably played for the race. He's a fun pitcher to watch. No doubt. Guys, great stuff. Best of luck the last couple of weeks, and thanks for coming on. B.A., thanks, thanks for having us. Thanks, Neil. Fun. You got it. That's Dave, Andy, and B.A. Before we continue, let us pause for station identification on the Race Baseball Network. This is Tampa Bay Sports Radio. This one's on its way. Thank God. 620 WDAE St. Petersburg and 95.3 FM. Home of the Rays. Neil Solon's with you on this week in Rays Baseball. We turn to the minor league side, which included five clubs with winning records, four in the playoffs, and now two championships. Joining us, Director of Minor League Operations, Mitch Lugovich. Mitch, thanks for joining us. Congrats on not one but two titles. Great, Neil. Thanks for having me. 
What did it mean to have two teams, Durham at the AAA level, Hudson Valley, short season, in the last two days win championships? Well, it's a tale of two tales when you're talking about our AAA Durham club. I mean, it, it, it has players that are young, like Willie Adamas, Jake Bowers, to mention a few. We had some veteran guys, um, Patrick Leonard that's been around a little bit, Kirk Casale, now he's up in the big leagues to help Johnny Field to mention a few. But then when you get Hudson Valley... They're basically first, second-year players with Brandon McKay out of the draft, Bruce Trotman out of the draft, Taylor Walls out of the draft. So I can say in Hudson Valley, we have some youthful, good pitching that will be years away, but we also have the Ryan Yarbroughs and the Diego Castillas and the Brent Honeywells, to mention a few in Durham, that are on the horizon as well. Again, we're chatting with Mitch Lukovic on this weekend race baseball. Mitch, five clubs with winning records, too, and four made the playoffs. What do you see as the big stories throughout your minor league system this year? Consistency. Stay the course. No panic. At bats, innings pitched. No panic. In, in or I should say, with our Hudson Valley club, they lost 11 in a row with a bunch of new players, and they're acclimated in professional baseball. Craig Albernaz and staff did a fine job of settling these kids down. They end up winning 14 in a row after, but consistency like that throughout our organization, which we're really proud of, and kids are getting better. They're on the verge of participating with our major league club. During the course of the year, Mitch, who are some of the kids throughout the system who you think showed the most overall growth over the course of the year and why? Well, you know, that's always a, a hard question because, you know, the growth that, that's relevant, so to say, that, that's in, in how you judge growth. Some kids grow mentally, some grow kids physically. It's when the mental aspect and the physical aspect come together for growth. You look at Jesus Sanchez in, uh, with our Bowling Green Club. He was good last year. He was better this year. Josh Lowe with Bowling Green, our number one pick of a year ago, skipped uh, levels from going from the Gulf Coast League, Little Princeton, and the Bowling Green make great strides. You look at some of the pitching, like Austin Franklin in Hudson Valley. I mentioned a few others. How about Diego Castillo, who ended up being our closer in, uh, in Durham. And just a few years ago, he was in Hudson Valley. Big arm, big stuff, and could get hitters out, and he's on the verge. Um, and Honeywell, okay, started out in double-A, pitched two games, was in triple-A the rest of the year. These guys are making progress and steady progress that they'll be on the horizon uh, for our major league club shortly. When you look at the kids who are so close, the Honeywells, the Bowers, the Adamases, are those guys, I think they're, you know, we're trying to discern between a guy who's going to be a regular at the big league level or maybe a guy who could be an impact player. I mean, I don't think anyone predicted it for Kevin Kiermeyer, but do you see a lot of guys who you think can be, in essence, impact guys up here? Well, sure. Kevin wasn't that player in the minor leagues. He had good defensive tools, you know, his, his run tool, his arm tool. That hitting tool didn't come around until, like, four years in the minor leagues. And then you guys were talking about Alex Cobb. That, that change-up started in double-A. That was down the road, and that happens a lot of times. But when you look at the year of Willie Adamas at league age 21 had in triple-A, and the Bowers did, 
AAA. Pat Leonard had a bounce back year in AAA. Daniel Robertson came back down there with the right attitude, did the right thing, and look at the contribution he's making and can have um, with our major league club in the future. I want to touch on a couple guys in your double-A club, uh, specifically a guy who basically jumped levels. Joe McCarthy, in essence, went from Bowling Green. He didn't play a lot in Charlotte all the way to double-A and more than held his own. What kind of player do you think he can become? He's a good hitter. He watches the ball very well. Sometimes we think a little too well. You'd like a little bit more power out of a corner, left field, first base type player. But he's a good hitter. He's a good runner. And he has a good mind. And that's going to carry him to the next level. And Justin Williams, I know you promoted him for the AAA playoffs. He's still a very young kid. Um, What kind of growth did he show? Well, him, more mental, which is really important. And we thought he was the right guy to get the promotion to AAA simply because he had more time. Joe had a great year. Justin, Justin had a great year. But with him having a little more time, he's, he's a pretty good outfield. He's a pretty good athlete. And when he, when he gets his pitch, he can really hit it hard. And he's getting more consistent with that meal. You know, one guy I heard a lot about down in Port Charlotte, and we haven't really touched on them, is Ryan Bolt. He was a guy who had, in short season play, right out of the draft, maybe struggled a little bit, but he had about as consistent a year as any guy in your system. He was consistent. If you say, how was Ryan's year? Very consistent from day one to the last day. We skipped him a level. He didn't have a great year in Hudson Valley, but, again, we don't measure everything with batting average, statistics, it's are you mentally ready? Can you physically handle it? He comes from a good college program, the University of Nebraska, where he played good competition. He has a solid mind. And he showed everybody he not only handled it, he, he was, you know, one of the three outfielders to make the year-end all-star team. So how's that? Really good. Not an exciting, exciting player, but a good, steady player. You mentioned him a little bit, Yanni Chirinos, uh, pitcher at the AAA level. Obviously, Brent Honeywell got more headlines. Ryan Yarbrough came over in a trade a little older. But the more the season went on, the more I started hearing from people outside of the Rays organization about how good Yanni Chirinos looked. Well, he got better through the years. When you first saw him in Hudson Valley, it was very vanilla, good arm uh, with, with his delivery, Neil, can throw strikes, but the stuff wasn't there as well and over the years with the different programs we have for these guys under Dewey Robinson and Dick Bosman's leadership and our pitching coaches he got stronger he got better the stuff got stronger and the the breaking ball got sharper he always had good control because he had a good delivery he gets easy outs and he doesn't throw 140 pitches in five innings he throws strikes Mm -hmm. consistent and he's getting triple A outs when you asked a little while ago who made the most growth, I would think Johnny Torinos would be one or one of them that we would talk about. And at the lowest level we talked about, or not the lowest, but but the, the short season level, Hudson Valley, I heard so many good things, too, about the entire rotation. You mentioned a couple guys, but how talented was the group? You had a six-man rotation there. Well, I can tell you it's as good as we've had there since we since we have been there. And I wow. mentioned a few of the names. I 
you know, with Austin. Uh, Franklin was a young high school pitcher that we got out of the handle last year that went from the Gulf Coast League to Hudson Valley. Out of the draft, we got uh, Bruce Brotman and Brandon McKay. And then we got this kid, Tobias Myers, who we traded for with Tim Beckham. We got him for Tim Beckham. And, and all these guys had major league potential on the mound at this young age. Now, stay the course. Let's not get too giddy. <laughs> Patience. But they have everything that all of our, well, I would say young pitchers who have come through the system that you experience, Neil, they have equal or better of that type of talent. And so we're really excited with that. We got the kid Salinas in the trade, and he's 97 now. Finally got him to throw the ball over the plate, and with good stuff, we have a chance. But big tools, big arms play in the big leagues, Neil. No doubt. Mitch, great stuff. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Easy to do. Thanks for having me. Again, that's the race, Mitch Lukovic. Coming up, find out what turned around Blake Snell's season around after this on the Race Baseball Network. We continue on This Week in Race Baseball, and our featured guest this week is Blake Snell. And first, uh, Blake, I'd probably be remiss if I didn't ask how your situation was when you got home after Hurricane Irma. Any damage, anything of that nature at all? No, I uh, got lucky. Power's only out for a couple days but I wasn't there, so when I came back, AC was working. Um, yeah, everything was good for me, so very fortunate about that. As a guy who grew up in the state of Washington, how concerned were you? Because that's not something you experience on, on that part of the country. Yeah, it was uh, new for me for sure, but I didn't have to go through it. I was in um, Boston and then New York, so I was very fortunate that I didn't have to go through it. And, uh, yeah, it's something that's unique to be watching the news channel every day seeing it get closer and closer but very very fortunate to not be in it and i guess when i was speaking to you know the concerns because being away from it sometimes can be just as concerning as being in it because you really don't quite know what's going on until you get back home yeah and uh no i had all my stuff packed up i took a lot of my stuff with me so wasn't really too worried about what i left behind and uh I'm just thankful that I don't own a house out here, so I don't have to worry about that. Um, but, yeah, I was very lucky to be able, me personally, to be able to get away from it. Professionally, how has this year been for you? How would you describe it? Yeah, uh, professionally, uh, it's been a great year, honestly. Um, i, I got to take it from a standpoint of how much I've learned, how much I've grown. Uh, I really struggled, I'd say, for the first time in a long time. Uh, had to adapt, had to understand what I needed to do to become the player that I believe that I am and still growing to be that player. But uh, started off pretty pretty shaky, uh, didn't do anything I wanted to do, wasn't executing. Uh, but I, I learned, I got better, I stayed uh, believing in the process and uh, got sent down. Really learned a lot when I got sent down, learned how to just be a pitcher and also how to take my, my time off the field more serious. Did all that, came back, and uh, struggled for a little bit when I came back. I wasn't expecting that, but I still believed in my ability and what I was doing, and I just knew it wasn't going my way, but everything I was doing was what I needed to be doing, and last 10 starts or so, I've been really happy with how I just continue to believe in what I'm doing, and the numbers have been panning out a lot better, but still a lot a lot that I can get better at. Let's, you know, I, I looked at the last seven, and, and your ERA was about three for those, which was way better. 
What was the turning point for you? What started to turn the corner in the right direction and why? Um, I would say when I got sent down, it uh, made me think a lot more of why, what, what my purpose is of being in the big leagues. Did I, did I just want to make it to the big leagues and be an average player? Did I want to come to the big leagues and make my impact known and be an important piece to this team? And uh, that's what I wanted to do. But I, I can want it, but I also had to learn how to do it. And when I was in AAA, I learned a lot from pitching coach Kyle Snyder. We had a lot of really heart-to-heart talks. And, uh, yeah, we started to get after it. And from that point on, I never really looked back. I just believed in what I was doing and knew it was going to work. So what changed? Um, just consistency in my pitches, consistency in my workouts, consistency in the way of just living, really. Um, everything I was doing was so wrapped around baseball. I was so focused on it. Uh, but I never got too high, never got too low. I just understood what I needed to do, and I did it. And uh, started to get the results and started to get happy about that, but still knew there was so much I could do to be that much better. And uh, that was the thing Kyle helped me with most is I'd have a good start, and he'd be like, what, what went wrong? And I'd be like, well, nothing. I did good. Like, what, what could have gone wrong? He's like, you got to nitpick. You have to understand that there's always something you could do better. And ever since then, I've kind of took that to heart, and I feel like that's made me a, a lot better pitcher. You've pointed out Kyle Snyder, the pitching coach for the Durham Bulls. Who else was really helpful? Obviously, you have to want it, and you have to yeah. do it, but who else helped? Uh, well, overall, yeah, it's, it's up to me. It's my career. I, I have to want it. But uh, Kyle, Kyle was definitely the centerpiece of helping me start from what was a terrible season to the transition into a lot better season. And then when I got here as well, I mean, Hickey helped me. But I'd say both pitching coaches helped me tremendously in, in different aspects. Um, but then I moved over on the rubber when I got here, started being way more consistent in the zone. The stuff was always really, really good. And then, uh, yeah, ever since then, I really started to dominate on the mound, off the field. Chris Archer helped me a tremendous amount, just in the way, just the way of living, the way of, how I carry myself, what I want to be remembered as, and why I'm doing what I'm doing and how it's going to help me. So there's a lot of people to credit, but those are the main pieces to that. How about your family? Because I know I remember conversations we had when you were working right through the minors, how tough they were on you and wanting more. So how did they handle this and how helpful were they? Yeah, I mean, they know they know how good I am and how good I can be. And they know that I've always driven myself to be the best I can be. Sometimes I would get distracted by nonsense. But, um, yeah, no, they've always been the same. I just feel like that's that's how they are with me. So it's not – they always sh- shoot me straight and let me know how they feel. But – yeah, they, I mean, they've been helpful my whole career. I wouldn't be where I'm at if it wasn't for them. Obviously, you said getting sent down was a turning point. How did they handle that with you, and what did they say? What, what things, were they encouraging? Were they, how, how did they handle it? Yeah, no, uh, they just said don't go down there and pout. Uh, don't be a baby. You, went down, you got sent down because you need to get better. I, I knew that, too, so I was aware of it. I, was, I knew I needed to, to get sent down to be able to work on my craft and get a lot better. Uh, I needed to build confidence, too, because – I wasn't getting the results that I've always, I've always had. So there was a lot that went on there that I had to get better at and adjust to and adapt. And uh, yeah, they just their main focal point was don't go down there and pout and be a baby and say, oh, I belong in the big leagues. Well, they're the realist and they let me know you didn't do anything in the big leagues, but make the team worse. And uh, yeah, that made me a lot more open to getting better too. I already knew that when I got sent down, I needed to be sent down. Uh, for me to be a better me. And, uh, no, I'm real thankful for it now looking back on it because it taught me so much just 
with everything. I think that guys are more apt to be successful if in the big leagues if they're good self-evaluators. And it sounds like you became a much better self-evaluator. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, it's fair. I've always been a good self-evaluator. Um, I, like, I, I knew I needed to get sent down. I was aware of it. Uh, I didn't argue it um, at all. I, I knew I needed to. Um, and I just told Cash that I'm going to go down there, I'm going to get better, and I'll be back, and I'll be the, the Blake everyone knows that I can be, including myself. And, uh, yeah, I, I think I went down there and I did that, and I'm happy where I'm at now, but I'm still striving to be a lot better than I am because I know there's so much left for me to do and so much left for me to prove. You know, I look at the, the leader in the wild card race right now, the Twins, and look at Byron Buxton and the struggles that he went through, and Jose Barrios, who had an ADRA last year in the big leagues. Are there certain players that you watch and go, well, I can learn from that example, or I can learn from this guy, and are those good examples for you? I mean, yeah, Barrios is a great example. Um, minor leagues, he was always the dominant guy. I mean, every time I faced him, I knew it was going to be a, a close game. It was whoever, which one of us lasted the longest was usually the, the, the one that was going to win. But, yeah, no, him struggling, I knew he was going to get better because I saw how, how excellent he was in the minors, and I knew how much of a competitor he was. So it's a great example with Barrios. And even Buxton, I know how much of a competitor he is, and I know how good he really wants to be and how hard he really works. So for it not to go his way, you just got to keep battling. You can't listen to what people say because they don't understand what goes in it. You're at the best level of any kind of baseball. And to be the best in that sport, of baseball is hard you're you're gonna fail and uh to see them fail i mean it's a great example because i've played with them the whole way through the minors i played against them all the way up so i've seen them at their best and at their worst so i mean that's very it's a very good comparison just with those two guys so knowing that you've made a lot of strides this year where do you think the greatest strides you can make next year as you look forward yeah. off season uh i have to go in ready ready to go with a, a focus that I haven't had for a couple of years in the offseason. Um, I have to take it real serious. I have to be driven. Uh, but I'm, I've already been looking forward to the offseason. I'm excited for what's to come, and I'm excited in the fact that I'm excited. Uh, I just I know how big this offseason is, and I know what I want to do next year. And um, I got a lot to prove to myself because I was very disappointed in the way that I came into spring this year and didn't execute right away like I knew I should have. And, uh, yeah, I'm just I'm ready to come into spring, ready to go, ready to do a full season in the big leagues and ready to, to really let my work show. You've got three starts still left this season. What do you hope to accomplish to use it as a springboard maybe yeah. for next year? No, uh, I've been talking to Chris about it. Uh, both of us have been talking these last three starts are, are huge for us. It's, uh, it's, it's hard when you go to spring. You can't really get everything going. It takes a while to build up. So we're kind of taking this as – our, this is us building for spring. What what do we need to execute and be at our best so when we go into spring, it's full confidence and it's ready to go. Well, I wish you best in doing that. I certainly appreciate some time on the show today, and hopefully we will see that Blake Snow we're looking forward to in 2018. Yeah, no, you're going to see it. I promise that. I'm, uh, I'm dedicated to it, and I'm focused. I'm ready to go. Thank you. And that is thanks to Blake Snell and all the guests on our program today, Race President Brian Ald, Vice President Rick Nafe, as well as Charlotte Stonecrabs GM Jared Forma, Rays Director of Minor League Operations Mitch Lukovich, as well as Dave Andy NBA. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me at Neil Solons. Special thanks to my producer today, Trey Downey. Neil Solons saying next week, Evan Longoria coming up. It's the pregame show on the Race Baseball Network.
It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.